You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends. Okay, I teased you. I said I was going to start a series focusing on North Dakota Department of Commerce, a little bit more specifically, the Commerce Department staff as it relates to the critical importance of energy-related projects, because it's changed significantly the past 10-plus years or so. But for some context, up until recently, North Dakota had its greatest population, highest number, in 1930, 680,845 people. And of course, then we had the Dust Bowl years, the Depression, and, and we lost folks, significant number of them. And it wasn't until, oh, maybe 2011, where that started to change pretty significantly. I mean, even in 1990, it was 638,000. When I moved to Bismarck in 1985, we were still in a downhill spiral. Everybody was trying to find ways to keep young people in the state. And then, of course, we had this incredible combination of technology, horizontal drilling, and hydraulic fracturing that changed how we explore and drill for oil, changed it significantly. And not just here, changed it globally. And in 2022, the population of our state estimate was 779,261 people. One could make the case that a lot of that growth is directly tied to what's happening in the energy fields in North Dakota. North Dakota has three huge contributors to its budget, agriculture, natural resources, energy exploration, and everything attached to it, and tourism. I mean, those are the three biggies. Some years, ag is a bigger contributor than natural resources, energy, but generally speaking, uh, oil, gas, exploration, distribution, and everything attached to it has made a huge, huge change in the trajectory of the state of North Dakota in many different ways. That doesn't mean, by the way, that there haven't been challenges. That just happens with growth and particularly with whenever you're moving dirt and exploring for natural resources, hydrocarbons, whatever the case might be, there's, there's uh, some challenges. But we've weathered the storm very well, and that's because of great leadership. And to that end, I am so excited, and it's a pleasure and privilege for me to have on Mike's seminary and friends today, Richard Garman. Richard is the Director of Economic Development and Finance for the North Dakota Department of Commerce. Prior to that, he was with Great River Energy and had background prior to that as well. Additionally, Tom Oakland, 
Tom's fairly new to the Department of Commerce because there was a new department, a badly needed one, established during the course of the last uh, legislative session. And Tom is the Energy and Economic Coordination Office Manager for the Department of Commerce. So we're going to be having great discussions with regards to what's happening in North Dakota, how it impacts us, how it impacts our entire country, frankly, and maybe the the entire planet. I'm so excited to have with me today Tom and Rich. Welcome to Mike Seminary and Friends, Tom and Rich. It's great to see you. I'm going to start with you, Rich. How are you today? I'm great, Tom. I'm, I'm sorry, Tom. I'm great, Mike. Thanks for having us today. Uh, it's pleasure. always a pleasure talking to you and excited to tell you about what's going on in the commerce right now. So. so to make sure that I'm doing this correctly, most places when I search for you during social media, you're referred to as Richard. I have a tendency to call you Rich because it, even your, your name on, on the Zoom call says Rich. Which do you prefer? I'm usually in trouble if I'm called Richard. So let's go with Rich today. Let's okay. let's leave it with Rich. So, so. <laughs> Perfect. And Tom, welcome to you. It's great to see you. How are you today? Doing well, Mike. Really appreciate the time to be here today and talk about all the things going on right now within the state, energy related, it's because there's a lot. There's a lot to visit about. There, there is. And, and let me kind of, and I'm not going to use this phrase again, two times is enough, tee up the, the rest of our conversation with a, a little personal background. I've been involved in economic development, primarily through chamber work, and then through the Department of Commerce, the Economic Development Foundation Board, and then as a business developer for two civil engineering firms. So I've been involved in uh, forms of economic development for quite a while, in the better part of 35 years. And there was a time when <clears throat> a big project potential, whatever the city was, a million bucks was a big deal. 10 or 11, that was a game changer. That was absolutely a game changer. And we would go north of that once in a while when back in the days when you were looking for smokestacks and that kind of economic development, a lot of that has changed. Well, back in October of 2021, the announcement about the gas to liquids plant um, by Cerulon, that project is $2.8 billion. I suspect upon completion, it'll probably be north of $3 billion because that's just the way projects work from time to time. So what we're doing in North Dakota as it relates to Anything and everything connected to energy is huge. And you guys are in the front lines. So, so Rich, here's my first question. In, in your department, which Tom is part of, you have advanced manufacturing, energy, value-added ag, technology, autonomous systems, life science. And they're, they're all really interconnected. In, in a variety of ways. Is it safe to say that when it comes to the energy sector of your responsibilities, that one potentially has the greatest long-term impact 
in terms of dollars generated for the state of North Dakota and its future. You know, Mike, if we go just on project size, um, a, a, a predominant percentage of, of Tom's projects or the energy projects are that north of $100 million. There are hundred million, hundreds of millions of dollars and up, and several of them touch the billion-dollar range. Um, but I'd be doing um, the ag, the ag uh, sector a disservice to most of those projects that are that are hitting the the books now. The bigger projects are are north of five hundred million dollars, and some of them touching touching the billion dollar mark as well. Um, several of those projects, one is commercial in the last few weeks. That'd be the the soybean processing plant in Spiritwood. And there are two more following that: one in Castleton, one in Grand Forks. So, so yes, energy definitely is 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 leading the way, but ag is is neck and neck with them on on size of projects. Now, for are we just getting started on energy? And it seems seems like that might be something odd to say, since we've been in the energy business since when when was the first well in the 1950s? Um, but we're entering a new generation of energy projects i think is is a fair thing to say we're really adding value here for the for now we're really adding value we're not exporting all of our product um we do you know obviously we do have a refinery here in mandan that we add value to to our our oil products but we're looking at that whole value stream now of adding value the whole the whole way um eggs the same you know, eggs the same. We used to ship all of our soybeans out of state. Now we don't. Now we're going to be, you know, at least a third of them are going to be staying in the state. And as we bring up more uh, soybean processing plants, we're going to keep more soybeans in the state and add value to them here. And that's really the secret is let's quit shipping our commodities out of state to add value to other people's economies. Let's add that value to our economy right here, right now. And and energy has, I don't know that we've turned over all the rocks yet, Tom. There are so many opportunities in energy right now that, uh, we get calls monthly that we're like, that's a, that's a great, interesting project. And then we've got peripheral projects too, that we haven't even touched upon yet, but I'm sure we will by the time this call's done um, into uh, ore processing, which we don't have any ore in North Dakota. No, we don't, but we've got energy and that's important. And that's going to help us become uh, a fairly dominant ore processing state as well. And I'll let, I'm not going to steal Tom's thunder on that because those are his babies. I'm going to let him talk about those, but, but yes, energy is is moving. I mean, it's moving every single day, and and it's moving in the terms of hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollars on every project that we're talking about. So, mm-hmm. so. before I go to you, Tom, Rich, uh, thank you so much for covering that the way you did. the The joined at the hip relationship, and, and not just here in North Dakota, between ag and fossil fuels and energy some people kind of don't get it um mainly because they probably haven't had the opportunity to dig and study um in depth those individually much less them combined sure but that that relationship and connection and joined at the hip relationship, as I mentioned, between ag and fossil fuels is very, very important. Absolutely. And we can, we, we can, we leave there 
you know, the majority of fertilizer, and you just mentioned mentioned that, used to grow crops to feed the what do we have? About eight billion people now? Something you know, something like that. Not in North Dakota, but globally. Right. The majority of fertilizer that's required to produce the food necessary to keep people upright has some kind of a petroleum base to it. Absolutely. So before I go to you, Tom, Rich, what what is that connection so people have a better understanding of that relationship? Well, there are several connections between ag and energy. And in fact, we we caught out, we have four developers in our group. And you you mentioned the, the four areas before, all very talented folks in their own rights. But we often have to ask or sit, sit back and ask ourselves, is this an ag project or an energy project or a manufacturing project? Because they all intertwine. Um, but what the, the connection between ag and energy quite often, there's, there's kind of two big ones that I see. Uh, the first one you kind of touched upon. The traditional way to make fertilizer is you basically break, you, you physically break down um, natural gas and extract the hydrogen out of it and then combine it with nitrogen. And that gives you ammonia. Um, I'm not going to give you the details on how that works because I frankly don't know. Um, I got a C in, in chemistry and I was, I was grateful for that C. Tom can probably explain it to you better than I can, but that's how it works. Uh, hydrogen, nitrogen from the air, ammonia. Um, and ammonia and its derivatives are, are the preferred fertilizer stock of most farmers. Um, urea is another formulation of ammonia. It's, it's a little bit more processed uh, formulation of ammonia, turns out into a granular form. So that, that right there is a direct connection between egg and energy. The energy is the, is the energy product, the natural gas, which is reformed and turned into, uh, turned into hydrogen combined with nitrogen, ammonia, fertilizer. Um, there's another opportunity there too, actually directly from coal, and that's the uh, gasification plant up at Dakota Gasification. They have a similar but different process where they extract uh, hydrogen atoms off of the off of the coal, and they gasify the coal, take the hydrogen off of it, etc. Move along, um, fertilizer product or, or ammonia product. So that's that's the close interconnection there. And one of the most interesting things now is that. Um, there's a lot of entities out there right now that have a concern with with uh, the carbon footprint of your fertilizer product pro- product. Um, using natural gas, you naturally are are releasing a CO2 product when you're making ammonia, when you strip it apart. There is the opportunity to capture that CO2 now and sequester it in North Dakota. So North Dakota has a unique opportunity in the fact that they have primacy, the ability to site these wells. And the geology, the ability to uh, to sequester that CO2. So if you're making ammonia, you can make what they call now blue ammonia, which means that it's got the CO2 footprint handled in the uh, in, in the process. So now ammonia can you can utilize ammonia and not have a carbon and not have a carbon footprint. Now that that story changes as you progress through into urea and things like that, but that's more chemistry down the road. The other connection um, between ag and, ender- ag and energy would be the biofuels that are that are very common and very um, well represented in North Dakota. Started out, we talked about soy a little bit earlier. You know, you, you crush the soybean, you get oil and meal. Well, that oil can then be fed to a refinery to make a, a renewable diesel product. Um, ethanol, we should all know ethanol pretty well. I think we have six plants operating in the state right now. 
and all of those facilities, all of those facilities can um, uh, take corn, obviously, and process it and develop a, a fuel product, ethanol, on the backside. Most of them now are also evaluating an opportunity in ways to uh, continue the chemical process and turn that ethanol into sustainable aviation fuel or jet fuel. So that common that that the connection between egg and energy is very tight um, across the board. So. Hmm. Tom, you're fairly new to the Department of Commerce, not to energy. Like Rich, you have uh, history with Great River Energy and then some. When the Energy and Economic Coordination Office opportunity presented itself, as I look at your background and what you do in terms of attracting and securing major projects, which means you have people skills because you're connecting private sector with government and opportunity. You have that in your back. And my point is this seems like a perfect fit for your for your background. What what attracted you? Because Great River was a great company. What attracted you? to this specific opportunity at the state? Well, Mike, I'd say my passion in the energy industry, it's always been the all of the above approach. You know, I, I come from, I worked with Great River. I actually spent most of my years in the power plant industry with North American Coal. So a lignite coal mining company. And we, everyone has a lot of passion in providing a product. In that case, it was the end product was electricity to people who need it and use it and willing to pay for it because of that need. But there's been this ongoing transition, the energy transition that's that's being promoted right now in terms of moving away from fossil fuels and moving towards green energy. And so you've kind of got the renewable energy side, you've got the conventional fossil fuel side, and now we're kind of we're bringing that all together with the carbon capture and the, the the concept of lowering our carbon intensity through efficiency gains and just looking at the big picture, the cradle to grave picture of how and it's not just how energy is produced or transformed, but what products we're using, like fertilizer is an example that we're talking about. And I think for me, what I enjoy in this role with this with this office is we're, we are bringing people together, working from both sides of the spectrum, renewable energies, green energy, and our existing fossil fuel fleet, oil and gas production as well, and trying to maximize the efficiency within all those different organizations to be able to continue producing economical energy for the end user. And as far as North Dakota's growth, you know, the, the big reason that our growth is needed is it's not just because of the the demand for carbon neutrality and all the credits put out by the federal government. It's the fact that we have a growing and increasing demand for energy. Like we are an exporting state. So th this uh, this field greatly interests me because of the fact that I'm, I'm not necessarily thinking about my own career and my own timeline here. I'm looking towards my children and what they will be doing and the fact that this is an uh, this energy production is necessary 
not just for North Dakota, but for our neighboring states. We, we export more than we use ourselves. So we're able to, to help bring more producers to the state to increase production and meet the demands in the future. I'm, I'm gonna peel the onion a little, a little further based on something you said, Tom, and that was great information, thank you. If, as an outsider looking in, and as I say that, I'm talking about what we're doing on a federal level. It appears to me that some of the steps we've taken weren't very well thought out with regards to the art of the long view. But, I mean, for example, if someone says we're going to eliminate fossil fuels and we're going to now subsidize the manufacturing of electric vehicles and everything that that entails and then subsidize the charging stations because we have to get off of our dependency of fossil fuels, and in this case, gas for combustion engines as quickly as possible. That didn't seem very well thought out to me because that's almost approaching it like a light switch. And it can't, again, from an outsider looking in, it doesn't work that way. Well, dreaming the thought is a good one, and one could make the case that you know, electrified transportation makes a lot of sense in many ways. It isn't a cure-all, it isn't a fix-all. And the dependency that our country has on petroleum products isn't going to go away anytime soon. In fact, the need is going to go up. So... One could make the case that North Dakota actually is approaching the opportunity and the future with, with a bit more of a strategy, more of a well thought out plan. And, and we've had a long history of working with renewables and clean energy. Because, first of all, that's part of the agriculture, the culture and lifestyle that, that's what farmers do they they try to make the best use of all their resources possible they want to conserve and so i think in terms of heritage that's just part of how we think here so from your background what i just said what what is your day like when it comes to uh, attracting and securing projects and then working with partners where some of them's at times are probably diametrically opposed with their backgrounds a little bit. And how do you balance that with the art of the long view that you just mentioned in terms of this is about you, it's about your kids and their generation. How do you go about that on a daily basis with your responsibilities? That's a long winded question. I apologize. Well, I guess to start off what I would, one thing I would say is that, the list we've all heard the stats there there's i can't remember the latest numbers it's, it went from 30 to 50 billion dollars you know the number of dollars out there and potential capex for projects not just energy but projects looking to come to the state i will say we don't we're not necessarily needing 
to go out and find more companies looking to locate here. We've got a lengthy list of interest. There, there's no doubt about that. What what we need to focus on is is the ones that that the operations that want to come here and will be successful and will contribute to what we need within the state and with for our residents. And that's where I, I, I want to go back to that initial talk about the different sectors we have at commerce. You know, we've got energy, ag, technology, and manufacturing. I believe the number, and Rich, correct me if I'm wrong, is it 30,000 open jobs across the state in North Dakota? Yeah. Roughly? At least, at least, yes. We've got open, we've got, we've got enough jobs. We've got five times as many as we have people that are on the unemployment list or actually considerably more than that, I believe the number is. But with that being said, we need high paying jobs. We need quality, safe, uh, quality of life jobs to the state of North Dakota. And energy is one of the, one of those fields that definitely can help assist with that. But we need to find the right uh, locations, the right partners, what's going to make it most economically viable. And I think our our struggle right now is that we we have we fit the role or fit the mold for a lot of these companies because of all the federal credits out there. But will we fit the mold after those credits have expired or or in the long haul, like whether or not it makes sense to continue for, for, for these uh, these new companies, these new operations to locate here. So I think that the trick is, is to make the right uh, introductions between partners that not only make the new company coming to the state successful, but strengthen the one that's already been located here for the last 40 years. So if, we, if we're able to bring in a user of electricity or natural gas and locate them in, a, in an area that has extra, or if we don't utilize that energy, we have to build out transmission lines, pipelines, additional infrastructure that comes at a cost. Maybe instead we should locate the users close to the producers and eliminate all that additional cost. And with that, we gotta work very closely with the manufacturing side and technology because we we really don't need to create another 3000 jobs. We need to, we need to add value to something with a lot of automation, with the latest in technology, uh, with, with the minimum amount of additional jobs needed, if that makes sense. So I think, I think it's kind of looking at it more from a quality over quantity aspect is the big trick. And I will say it's, it's not <laughs> black and white. It's pretty, it's, it's difficult to figure out what the best fit is or even if there is a best fit for some of these these new interested parties. Yeah, Rich, I'm going to go to you in a second and I ask you a barking question. Tom, one of the things I, I think I just heard is we're, North Dakota, we're in a place that between the resources that we have here and the federal credits the federal government is making available there there's a lot of people that would look at North Dakota and, and maybe to take advantage of the credits would like to do something here 
But we're at a place where by design, we want to be a little bit more selective because we, we don't necessarily need the project as much as we need um, filling opportunities that are already there and then making sure that we're partnering up well those resources in places where we get the most bang for our buck. So thank you for looking at North Dakota, but maybe at this moment, uh, we're going to go a different direction. And that's a really polite way of saying it on the podcast, but because here's our focus. So is that kind of how I heard that the way I just put it in my own words? Yeah. It, as far as looking at the needs of the new, of the company coming to the state and whether or not it benefits existing operations within the state. Right. Is what I'm getting at. It, it, there's a, almost every project we have could locate in a neighboring state or even across the country. Now, and if it makes more sense, that's the direction they should go. But we need to find the best location that fits, not just for that company, but for the existing residents or the existing companies, the existing producers, so that it's it's a benefit all the way around is, mm -hmm. is the direction we're looking at. Yep. Best fit for the residents. That's a big lift sometimes. And that's, I'm going to go to you, Rich, about the barking. We have, we just have lots of barking nowadays. A lot of it coming from Washington, D.C., and even people like myself where I think I know something and I'm all of a sudden going to express how I feel or my opinion when when it's all said and done. I probably didn't have enough information. I'm probably kind of ignorant to all the facts, so maybe don't say anything, Mike. But we we have all these tools in terms of communication, so we're just being bombarded with people barking about one thing or another. And as it relates to almost any kind of an energy project nowadays, there's going to be a kind of an amplified, an amplification of the barking, if you will. And so in your role, uh, Rich, um, how, how often do you have to be boots on the ground, if you will, we're sitting across the table from maybe some of the folks that Tom was just talking about and trying to balance fact with uh, maybe not as much fact as one thinks that they have. How much of your time do you spend in that arena? Um, a, a fair amount, Mike. In fact, that's one of the reasons I, I sat down with you several months ago and said the most important thing to me and to Tom and to actually all of commerce is we want to have the truth out there. We want to have the facts out there. Most of the projects that die, die a death of mistruths. And we don't, that that's not fair to the projects. That's not fair to the people because we might lose a good project based on, you know, rumor and innuendo. So we don't want to go there. So Tom and I kind of have a goal. In fact, one of Tom's, the pillars of his department's built on is education. And we want to start that education. In fact, Tom and I, and with a little bit of help from Tracy, are going to start doing the marketplace for kids and, and teaching kids about what energy is, how it works, why it works. You know, when you flip the switch on, where does that come from? No, it doesn't come from the wall plate. It comes from 
Coal Creek Station, Antelope Valley Station, pick pick a station. It doesn't matter. It comes from there. And how does that make electricity? We want we want to get it back to that fundamental understanding of what energy is, and and how it's how it's generated. Now it's it's beyond energy as far as as far as education is concerned. Though any project that we have, um, <laughs> I think. Grand Forks presented at a meeting I was just at, the project that didn't happen. We'll just leave it. That's a good title for it. We'll just leave it at that. Um, they learned a lot. They learned a lot. And a lot about a lot of that project was about um, misinformation that was about a project out there. And I don't need to get on either side of that project to tell you that there was a lot of misinformation out there about that project. That was terrible. We, we need to be out ahead of those projects and at least fill the airwaves, fill the papers, fill the whatever anybody's listening to with facts. That's our that's our biggest goal is to just saturate the market with facts, because if the facts aren't there, people are going to fill it in with whatever they want to believe, whatever, you know, crazy ideas they have. Now, you ask me how often I end up across the table. Not not all the time, but frequently I'll field calls. In fact, just so happens I was in my hometown um, this last weekend in Sydney, Montana, talking to a friend or two of mine, and they just lost. um well, they're losing three different industries in the, inside of a year. They lost a power plant, they lost a sugar plant, and now they're losing a corresponding coal mine that served those two facilities. That's a pretty big blow for small little Sydney, Montana. And I was talking to a friend of mine and goes, hey, if I get together with a couple of uh, county commissioners and the mayor, would you come talk to us? And I'm like, well, I'm supposed to be here on leisure, but sure, I would talk to you about that. And first of all, I work for the state of North Dakota, not Montana. But they wanted to talk about all the great projects we had in North Dakota because they see residual benefit across the border. You know, the, some of their workforce will cross the border. Some of the residual work will flow across the border. They get it. They understand it. And they wanted to talk about it. They they weren't they were actually wanting us to build in their backyard. <laughs> they weren't the not in my backyard. They were like, please build it over here. And I'm like, oh, I think Governor Burgum might might uh, ask me to leave if I was uh, recruiting businesses to Montana. So no, I can't do that, <laughs> but I can get them really close to the border, you know, because that happens to be where they, where they belong. Um, several, several plants that we're, we're working with are, are within 40 miles of Sydney, Montana. So anyway, often I do speak in defense and not even in defense of, of projects. I don't try to defend them. I just try to put the facts out there. I don't, I don't want to take a side. I just want to tell you the facts about the projects and there's, there have been projects that have not been that great for North Dakota. And I'll tell you that too. Um, you, um, there are projects that, you know, some of the small crypto stuff that was bombarding the state two years ago, those were extremely um, energy intensive and they, they didn't leave a very big footprint. They didn't do a whole lot except make money for the people that were involved. That's okay. But do we want to spend our resources on that? Or could we spend those resources on something that had a much bigger payback for the state? And so we're starting to look at that. We can be proactive on on a, on, a, on finding our projects now. Like Tom said, we, we don't have to – I mean, this is before my time, but back in the 80s and 90s, we were trying to get call centers to come to North Dakota. Th those aren't big business. Those aren't really great for the economy. They put people to work at minimum wage – that's not what we want. We don't want call centers. We want very big. We want advanced facilities that hire people at, at, at very good wages and have good benefits and produce a great tax base for the state of North Dakota. That's what we want to do. And that's what we're working on. 
So those are the facts that I try to put out there. And you're going to help me do that because you promised me you'd help me do that. And Tom's <laughs> Tom's job is to do that. But commerce and, and commerce as a whole, that's what we're trying to do is put the facts out there. So, Well, speaking of high-paying jobs, Tom, and, and maybe I should have given you some advanced information or a heads up so you could prep for it, but I don't do that. I didn't even do it with Senator Hoven. I, I just roll with it. Is is there a, a range off the top of your head for the uh, average job that's available that's specifically connected one way or the other to um, energy or natural resources uh, Rich just mentioned, you know, minimum wage for some of the call centers. And there's uh, there's been plenty of jobs like that. And one could make the case they're kind of starter jobs, too. But yeah. what, what do, you, do you know what the, the kind of the average or the spread is with regards to what I just asked? As far as the open jobs in the ener energy industry, I, I don't okay. want to even take a stab at that as far as what the what the pay scale is, but I can tell you on the project list for these new large facilities, they'll give us ranges of numbers, you know, in different sectors, whether it's the work, the, the hourly workforce or the salary or the executives and so forth. And uh, well, the first one that comes to mind, one of my bigger projects that I'm looking at, uh, they're looking at over 500 positions and the bottom of their pay scale is approaching the six figure mark. So these are these are higher paying jobs that that we are looking at bringing to the state for the most part. Um, now, with each one of those operations comes the ratio of direct to indirect jobs. And usually that number, it, it all depends on which type of facility, but it can range from three or four indirect jobs for every direct or as much as eight or ten. And and that's where you create a lot more openings and the ranges will be considerably broader because those those indirect jobs are the ones you really don't we, we don't know the stats for as far as pay pay wages, but um but these these uh, new energy facilities are high paying jobs and they they're fully expecting that because it doesn't matter where they go within the country when they want skilled positions. They need to pay. It's it's uh, there's there's a North Dakota is not the only state that has an issue finding employees. That is a fact. No, it, it's happening in more states than not. Frankly, it's just it's just part of the deal right now. I, I do want to add, Mike, if I could, Please. a little bit to Rich's comment earlier about the pillars that we focus on in terms of the the Energy and Economic Coordination Office. Education is a big one. And now education on what the project's facts are or, or how it will affect the local population, that's a part of it. But beyond, beyond that is just the education to our youth in terms of career choice. And that's, that's something that's been a passion of mine long before I started with commerce is the transition we've kind of moved away from uh, – trades 
you know, our, our children going into trades is maybe not as often heavily sought after. But yet, when you look at these these jobs that are out there right now, they overlap. It's not just the energy industry. It's it's any sort of skilled trade is becoming a, a much higher paying position than it used to be in terms of with respect to your average four-year degree. And so I think that is a an important part of, of uh, the education piece is to teach our, not just our youth, but uh, folks that have young children like myself, my wife and I, that these, uh, when, when, you're, when your kid picks which degree to go into, we don't need to steer away from trades because of the fact that of a wage discrepancy. The facts are, those are some of the high paying jobs now in today's world. Yeah, I, like Mike Rowe, and that's as close as we get to having something in common. We both have a podcast, <laughs> and we both have the same first name. I, I, I've listened to him a number of times, and his passion about the importance of trades and how the talent for going into that kind of dried up for so long for a variety of reasons and how we'll pay for that. He said, if you can get a plumber, be prepared to pay an arm and a leg for it. If you can get an electrician, be prepared to pay an arm, because they'll be able to. It's just a supply and demand thing. And the great news, based on you know what you just said, and I agree 100%, Tom, is that uh, institutions like Bismarck State College have... They have really nailed that. They are exceptionally good at uh, attracting students, providing them a great education, and almost all of them have a bright future in front of them because of the opportunity, to your point, the opportunities th that exist. It kind of along the, the this theme that we were just talking about regards barking and education and facts. I, I was in politics during the time of the DAPL protests. And because of responsibilities I had, I was able to see firsthand um, information a lot of people didn't have access to in terms of texts and emails and tweets and all this information in terms of the real aggressive barking that was taking place. And I was really kind of surprised at the total ignorance. And that, that doesn't mean someone's stupid, by the way. And I always have to preface that. The total ignorance to facts when it came to that project on both sides, by the way. And back to rich what you were saying that that's why we're doing this there is there is so much misinformation that people push out because that's their goal they want to steer people away from one position or one camp pull them over here to build momentum and strength when it comes to almost any energy-related project in the state of North Dakota, 
and I'll go go to you first, Rich. That's just part and parcel of of the process now, isn't it? There's going to be groups of people that have some facts and sometimes not facts that can uh, at least sidetrack a project, sometimes derail it completely. In addition to podcasts, for example, what are some other ways that we, North Dakotans, that are passionate about our future and the opportunity for our kids and grandkids, what are some of the ways that we could participate in helping you and helping Tom with the correct, accurate information about the boots on the ground? Well, I I guess first and foremost, (laughs) I I talk to my wife and my kids about this all the time too, is just because you read something or heard something, verify it. Make sure that it's, it's, it's a real thing before you repeat it, first of all. And that, that's been a rule forever, right? But it's so much easier to do that nowadays when you read something on, on a social media site and boom, you just repost it immediately because it it sounds outrageous. Well, if it sounds outrageous, it probably is. If it sounds unbelievable, it's probably because it's not believable. Um, it, it's, it's, so much, it's so sensationalized anymore that it's like, the world isn't that exciting. I mean, the, the, there's not that much um, uh, cloak and dagger stuff going on. People think there's way more than there is, and there's not. Now, I will have a conversation all day long with somebody that has, you know, either you know technical differences of opinion, political differences of opinion. I don't care. I'll I will have a great discussion with you. Um, religion, politics, technical things, whatever. I'll talk with you all day long. I, I enjoy that conversation. As long as we both base our conversation in truth and facts. When you throw opinions in there and, and sometimes outright lies, you know, just to just to fire people up, that's when I get disappointed and frustrated and and kind of want to wash my hands of the whole thing. So number one, verify your source. If you hear something, especially if it's from kind of an unverified social media source, think about it you know does that sound crazy if it sounds crazy it probably is uh, and verify it um and then honestly ask ask people we we have the most accessible government system i believe anywhere in the world in the state of north dakota every legislator every elected official every departmental employee like tom and i we're, we're a phone call away. I mean, my phone number's out there on the internet. So is every legislator, every elected official. Call them and ask, and they'll pick the phone up. Um, that's not true in every state, but it is here. But verify or, 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 or email them or, or whatever method of communication you want to use, they'll, they'll respond. So verify and ask questions to everything you see. Because if it sounds evil and nasty, it's probably a little bit, at least a little bit fabricated. Um, and just, just get the facts. So, and I'll be the first one to tell you if this is a bad project or this is a bad thing, or this is bad for North Dakota, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll say, this isn't, this isn't what we need here. This is, this is a bad idea and it doesn't fit. And it's going to be bad because we don't have whatever resource there. And it's going to cost us a lot of money. But that's not the case most of the time. Most of the time, everybody fabricates that solution before they ever ask the question. So mm-hmm. ask. And one of my favorite sayings when I'm in a situation 
where there is discussion back and forth about whatever it might be. Let's just say it's a pipeline, for example, which nowadays that can, they have people over here and people over here and they have different opinions. Some of them have facts. I've always been willing to say openly, I'm not even qualified to give you my opinion. Right. And because if, if it's something that's just way above my pay grade, I might have a feeling about it. I might have an opinion, but if I don't have facts, I don't really have knowledge. I will say, I'm not even qualified to give you my opinion <laughs> right. because that's all it is. Right. Yeah. Tom, we have a lot of projects in the pipeline. Uh, some of them are real game changers. And again, your job is to track uh, and secure uh, major projects. When it comes to this balance of sustainable green energy, clean, or let's call it clean energy instead of green. I prefer to use clean, I guess. And the the role fossil fuels plays. The carbon neutral goal that, that the governor ha has announced. How does that fit into the, the balance that you're looking for and, and rich for that matter for the whole? How does that fit into the, the balance and the evaluation process for you? That carbon neutral uh, goal that and it's, is it 2030 or 35? 2035, I think. 3030. Oh, it is 30. Okay. Okay. That's right around the corner. How, how does that influence your thought process and your work? Well, with the carbon neutrality goal, the, the, the key to remember there is it's not carbon zero, it's carbon neutral. So we're not necessarily suggesting to eliminate all carbon, but offset it through either capture and sequestration, utilization, um, or, well, and a mix of adding carbon zero sources as well. So it's kind of an all of the above approach. Um, it, it definitely has put a lot of emphasis because of our class six primacy and our ability to sequester carbon dioxide. There is a lot of emphasis that's going towards facilities that want to come here and sequester carbon dioxide. And in many cases, it's not necessarily producing more. It's sequestering what we already have out there, like from our ethanol plants, coal plants, and, and various sources. So that is definitely a, a priority. It's it's one of the highest interest uh, sectors on the energy industry. There's a lot of companies that call us specifically because of the fact that we have carbon sequestration. Hmm. However, we aren't. We are not picking winners and losers and turning away fossil fuel projects either. We are, we're definitely wanting to maximize efficiencies that makes more sense for us to utilize natural gas or crude oil within the state and make that added value product here and then ship it out versus having to ship it all out through pipeline or rail we're wide open to that. And in many cases, that, that will actually, in fact, lower the carbon footprint. 
because if you're if you're able to you're able to process the crude oil or natural gas right here where you have sequestration available versus shipping it out a thousand miles across the country where they aren't able to do that that eliminates that otherwise emission that would happen elsewhere so we're kind of it's it's a it's a difficult calculation i'll say that but uh the sequestration portion of it is definitely high up on the priority yeah you know before we have people emailing all three of us you might want to explain in a little detail what exactly what class six primacy is and why it's so important Sure. So classic primacy is the state having the ability to permit wells used for carbon cap carbon storage. And we we're we are one of two states currently across the US, Wyoming, North Dakota, that have the ability to permit our own wells. Otherwise, you go through the EPA with the federal government, in which case, I don't know if they say a specific timeline, but five to 10 years it will take to get a well permitted versus in the state here, we're able to do that. We're, we're able to speed that up considerably. So we've already got several wells permitted. We've got ethanol plants currently collecting their carbon dioxide and sequestering. And that that uh, availability brings a lot of interest to the state because of the fact that we're able to do it quicker. And so if you think about like these large billion dollar plus projects that are looking to build out their infrastructure even though it's a three-year build out having the guarantee that they will have a permitted well by the time they're operational is a big factor to their investors in terms of getting that investment in so this is a big advantage we have right now and who knows we may have we may have that advantage for a long time it seems like the the primacy availability from the EPA is not necessarily getting easier. And it definitely is a long timeline to get the permit through. Yeah. And Mike, there are only two states right now that have that primacy, North Dakota and Wyoming. Um, my counterpart in Louisiana, I was talking to him and Tom is right there. They've, they've had wells waiting for EPA approval for seven years. Um, so there it's 10 years is not out, not, not a crazy number. So the, we're talking less than a year in North Dakota. So, is that, is that kind of an oxymoron where states want to contribute to technology and projects that embrace cleaner energy, both storage and distribution and production, and then the EPA would delay it five, six, it just doesn't, it seems, I'm not going to go into that. Uh, well, Mike, I, I'm not qualified to, to express my opinion. I'm going to leave it at that. I, ahead, I will Tom. say, though, that you got to give credit to the state of North Dakota and to our our research center, the EERC, and all of the research they have done to make that possible. It's not it's not a matter of who's willing to stamp the paperwork and give it approval. It's a matter of collecting a lot of data and a lot of valued information to know and be sure that sequestration is safe. It's, it's physically safe and and safe in the long term. And we've we have that because we started our state put money into that research 
20 plus years ago. And, and that's why it was ready to go so early. I sometimes forget that we have essentially our own national research energy lab right in our own backyard up in Grand Forks. It's really spectacular. We're kind of getting getting up to a time limit here. Um, just so you know, I put out the promotional video audio asking people for input because we would be doing a series. And I, I let them know that um, you know, we, we could talk about projects. We could talk about wind, solar, hydrogen, nuclear, you know, coal, oil, natural gas, because we have all of it, maybe not nuclear yet. Um, well, when I said, yeah, that just people's head just went boom. What was that? Did you say something, Rich or Tom? No, we'll talk about that another time. Okay. It's a great so topic. I'm, I'm asking people to email me at mikeseminary at gmail for input and direction so that we can provide the exact kind of information that people need to have to have a better understanding of what our state uh, is capable of, what this incredible department, the Department of Commerce, and, and in this particular case, you two gentlemen and your staff, what, what, what you're doing for the state of North Dakota. So kind of in closing for today, because we didn't, we're just scratching the surface on project and all that. Rich, what, what's the, your parting message today that you'd like people to leave with? Well, since we're doing this in an effort to to improve the education of the general public on what these projects really are, I would I would encourage everybody to just like I said before, um, I, I'm 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 happy that people have an interest in these projects. They should have. It's in their state. It's in their backyard. But make sure you have the correct information in hand before you make, you know, make up your mind and make decisions. And I don't care what decision you make. I'll, I'll, I'll discuss that with you all day long. But don't make rash decisions based upon false information. Just gather as much information you can. Make sure that it's 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 correct information, and then and then move forward with that. That's all I can say is just understand what uh, what what's out there and what's true and what's not true. And, and go with the truth. And, and Tom and I will try our hardest and, and we'll maybe wrap Kevin and Dave and Tracy and, and Brian in too at times. We'll tell you what's true. We'll tell you the, we'll tell you all the facts and then base your decisions on that rather than on, on false, false stories. So. Right. Tom, how about you? Uh, I guess the one thing I want to push forward here is that the, the topic is energy projects. Um, for the most part, but think about not just energy, but of all of the products, all of the needs, all of the physical things that it takes for us to, to live, you know, for, for you to go from uh, waking up in the morning till the end of the day. And one thing I'm learning in this role is that there's a lot of material out there that we are 100% dependent on not just another state, but another country. And in some cases, areas in the world that are no longer viable for guaranteeing that, that product. And the one thing we have the ability to, to, to do here is we can 
produce more locally in an economical way, but you got to look at the actual footprint that the from a, from an environmental side of things, we're able to do it in a clean way here too. And so I just I want to stress that this isn't only going to be discussions on energy. It's discussions on the material that goes into everything that we need to keep our our world turning as it is right now. And I know the last couple of years, especially, we've heard plenty of speeches about our dependency on on other parts of the world. And and now here we are in a position where we can actually try to gain some independence with it. And, and I think we should do that locally here in North Dakota. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. Um... It's an important time. Actually, it's a critically important time um, where a state like North Dakota, who's already a leader uh, in this area, will probably take that to another level for for every for all the reasons that you you just shared and uh, Rich did as well. So, folks, one place you can go to, um, because they have a very robust website with just wonderful information, Commerce dot nd dot gov commerce dot nd dot gov they're great information wonderful fact sheets pdfs that will provide you enough information to have a better opinion let me put it that way uh, and information rules once you have information accurate information we can all make better decisions guys i'm looking forward to our next discussion it I, I can't downplay the importance of what you're doing, North Dakota, the resources and assets that we have, and the importance not just for North Dakota, but really our entire country, frankly. Uh, uh, we have a great opportunity to be an even more prolific leader in providing great futures and opportunities for many. And I appreciate you guys coming on. Appreciate what you do so much. And I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Mike.